So this week I was reading about some, some relationships and, and weird reasons why some relationships ended. So th- today, as we've talked about this series, God is speaking some relational language for us. And today, even more so, he's going to speak some relational language for us. And so I was reading some, some weird reasons that people break up. Like, and I, I enjoy doing this. Uh, one of them was this moment where this, this girl wasn't hungry far too many times. And maybe some of you can identify with this. The guy asked his girlfriend, hey, do you want me to order you anything? We're going to have takeaway. Do you want to enjoy this with me? Do you want anything? Are you? And she'd say, oh no, I'm not hungry. And then the food would get there and she'd eat like half his food. And this just happened a few too many times and the, the relationship ended. Read about another couple that the guy, when he would make his coffee and tea, he'd, he'd put the spoon back in the sugar while it was still wet and it would make lumps in the sugar. Now, I don't put tea or, or sugar in my coffee or my tea. I'm sure that's annoying. Don't know if it's a reason to break up, but, but they did. They, they ended up ending their relationship that way. Read a story about a girl who was really into craft beer. And she took her boyfriend on a date to this, this pub that had craft beer, loads of different craft beers. And, and they get there and the guy orders two beers that he could get at the grocery store. So she dumps him on the spot. It's like, okay, we're done. We're not, we're not doing that anymore. Another girl talked about this guy who said touche for everything. Like he didn't really know like what it meant. And it was just like, instead of saying cool, he would say touche or hey, how are you doing today? Touche. And she was like, to start with, it was kind of funny and ironic. And then it was just like, he must be an idiot if he doesn't know what touche means. And and so he's like, enough was enough. She ended up breaking up with him. My favorite one was this, was was this guy took the girl out on a date and she put put mustard on her chips. Not, Not a big deal, right? Except the way that she did it was like she put the mustard on her hand first and then massaged it into her chips. If that's not weird enough, then she licked it off and is like, okay, we're never going on another date again. I shared this one with Tiffany and she was like, that's the kind of thing you do after they love you. Like that's the kind of thing, you can only get away with that if they already love you. Still gross, but like you have to love someone for that to happen. I think the date was going horribly and she was doing everything she could not to get another date with the guy. Like, that's just what I think. But here's the thing is like, people, people in, in relationships for, for a number of different reasons. And, and we read through our scripture today, God is speaking to us in relational language. And if you have your Bibles, look at verse six of Exodus 34. Again, here's what it says. He says, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. The one we're going to talk about today is God says, I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is, this is relational language. This is, this is marriage language. This is covenant language that Jesus is, or God is saying, like, this is who I am. And this is what it, it's one of the beautiful things is, is God wants to be in relationship with us. That's incredible. And as bad as we have been, as terrible and as miserably as we have been at keeping the covenant, God has perfectly kept kept his side of the covenant. And we see that throughout the pages of scripture. And maybe when we read that phrase, God who is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, maybe if you're real honest, you just say, "I I don't think that's true. That really hasn't been my experience. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's what you feel. And maybe one of the reasons that we come to that is because we've all had some bad experience with other human relationships. You know, you maybe had a parent or a partner who walked out on you, but God won't. You maybe have felt belittled or manipulated. God won't do that to you. Maybe you felt used or, or uncared for. 
God won't do that. Maybe you've, you've had these moments like you've constantly been torn down and made to feel like you're insignificant or, or not important. God doesn't feel that way about you. God isn't hateful or abusive or, or un, noncommittal or uninterested. Like that is not who he is. And so we need to be really careful to make sure that we do not place unrealistic or, or bad experiences that we have with human beings onto a perfect God, on a God who says he is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Because here's the thing, God is the standard by which all other loves are judged. God is the standard by which all love is judged. It's not the other way around. We don't look at relationships that we've had with other people and be like, well, this is what my relationship has looked like with them, so this must be what God is like. No, we, no God is the standard. God is the standard of what it looks like to love. And so God reveals himself to us today in an incredible, incredible way, saying, I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And there's a, there's a little Hebrew word that is translated for us here, unfailing love and faithfulness, and it's the word hesed. It's actually like hesed, but I can't make that noise in the back of my throat because I'm not from that time. And so we're just going to go with hesed, all right? And so like, if you want to like pretend you're clearing your throat, maybe you got a little tickle in your throat and you know like, okay, things are weird right now. Like you could try to do that, clear it that way by trying to say hesed. Um, but we're just gonna we're just gonna say hased together, and and the problem with this word is it, it we really don't have an English equivalent. Like it's really hard for people to translate this Hebrew word into English. Like it, regardless of what translation of the Bible that you have, it might be a little bit different word. Starting all the way back from the 1300s, like this word has been translated into English in a number of different ways. This word has been steadfast love, goodness, kindness. It's been just loving kindness, faithfulness. Some people have just translated it love. I think the better translation, the best translation that I've come across is this idea of loyal love. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Or covenantal love. We don't really use the word covenantal on a very regular basis, so let's stick with loyal love. Because that's what we're going to, so as we kind of walk through this today, that's what we're going to see. And so when God said that he is said. He is saying, I have a love that you can count on. I have a love that you can rely on. I have a love that you can, you can, you can know for certain that it is going to be there. And this is what God is saying to people. And as we read through the scriptures, one of the things we see, though, is like this love can actually be extended from, from people to other people. We see this with, with Jacob. When Jacob and his family make their way to Egypt, Jacob says to, to Joseph, he says to his family, he says, have hesed on me, have loyal love on me, and don't let my body be buried here in Egypt. And as we read through the story, they have hesed, they have loyal love, and when, when Israel leaves Egypt, they bring his bones and they take it, they take it out. This word is used of, of, of Ruth to describe her, her love for her mother-in-law. And she says, like, I have said for you, where you go, I go, where your God will be my God, your people will be your people. I have this loyal love for you. I am sticking by you for, for the very end. And so we see sometimes that this pops up for people in the Bible, but more than anywhere else, this name, this word is describing God and what God is like. And so what we see is God's said it focuses in on one people group, one person, and it just follows them throughout the entirety of the Bible. It starts with Abraham, Abram, and it just continues on through the people of Israel. 
And what we start to see, we see this in the line of, line of Abraham is, is Jacob. Once again, he gets to this moment where he realizes I am unworthy of this type of love. Like there's nothing I've done to be able to deserve this type of love that you have for me. Here's what Jacob says in, in Genesis 32.10. He says, I am not worthy of this unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, your servant. And I think if we're real honest, like we can, we can all agree with that. We think about the love of the Father. We think about this loyal love that he has for us. It's like, man, I'm not worthy of that. I'm, I'm not worthy. And I think deep down, if we're really honest with ourselves, this is the type of love that we want. I think every single one of us, we want this type of loyal love where, where we know without a shadow of a doubt, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry where we can feel safe and secure and comfortable. Like this is what we long for. This is, this is what we want. I don't know if any of you guys watched the interview of Adele on the Oprah show. Just a show of hands. I think I'm the only nerdy one in the room. Okay, so uh, Adele has this interview with Oprah. And she's, she's opening up about her divorce. Anybody listen to her new album, 30? Really? Just me again? Like, all right. Like. So the album's about divorce, or about her divorce. But anyway, she has this, no Adele fans in the room. That is tragic. Like, I don't know what's happening here. Um, man. But anyway, she has this interview with Oprah. And she talks about her divorce. And she says, I love my husband. I was just not in love with him anymore. And, and that's kind of this idea, this principle that we start to see. We start to see this playing out as like this idea of loyal love is something that we, we tend to miss. This, this idea of loyal love is something that we all desire, that we all long for. We want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. We want to know that this relationship is going to be what it is meant to be. And the fact is, is that God's love, only God's love, satisfies the longings of our hearts. The true longings of our hearts, the deepest, dark, deepest places of our soul, that is the place where only God can satisfy. It starts there and it moves on. Perhaps you've heard us share the quote from St. Augustine who says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our lives are restless. Our hearts are restless. Our souls are restless. Our love is restless until we find it in, in God. And so what he's saying to us here, he is, he's inviting us all into this, this relationship. He's inviting us all into this covenant. He's inviting us into this relational love. It is, it's not transactional. It's relational. Like God isn't sitting up in heaven and saying, okay, well, if, if you guys memorize that song that we sang just a few minutes ago, if you memorize that and you can sing it, I'll give you three answered prayers. If you can sing it on tune, then you get four. God's, God's not doing that. God's not saying, okay, if you show up to church this many times a month and, and you, you give this much away and you tell your this many neighbors about me, then I'll let you into heaven. God's, God's not doing that. He, he, God's love is not a, a this for that. It's not a you scratch my back, I scratch yours type of love. It's, it's a relationship. It's not marketplace language. It's, it's marriage language. This is the idea that we see in, in, in marriage. It's not what, okay, you do for me and I'll do for you, but when you haven't done for me enough, I'm gonna stop doing for you. That's not what we're seeing here. It's, it's relational. It's a covenant. It's saying, I am loyal to you in this relationship even when you can't do for me. Even when you don't do for me, we are still continually loyal in this. And as we begin to understand this idea of God, I think it, it completely changes the way we view him. I think it completely changes. Like it has to change the way that we view him because why? We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be worried 
anymore. We, we, we know that God isn't going to walk out, of us on, out on us when things get tough. We know that God sees us at our worst, but he loves us regardless. We know that to be true now because he is loyal to us. We have this loyal love and it just completely changes everything in our lives. God isn't going to leave you on red. He isn't going to, he isn't going to walk out when things get bad. He isn't going to, to be there one day and not, a, not another. Like he is, he is loyal. Why? Because he is hased. He is relational. He is covenantal, loyal love. And I think one of the beautiful truths that we see is we, we trace this throughout Scripture. When we trace the, the history of Israel is God's loyal love is given not just to the people of Israel, but it's also provided and given to other people. And we talked about the story of Jonah a few weeks ago, this moment in Nineveh where, where God has compassion on the people of Nineveh. They're terrible people, but God has compassion on them anyway. And Jonah, here's, here's what happens in the story. So Jonah chapter three, verses 10 uh, through four, two, here's what it says. He says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plan greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. He complained to the Lord, didn't I say this before I left home that you would do this? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from the destruction of people. Like, obviously, Jonah has some serious issues here. But like, he is, he's upset. He's frustrated that God's said love has been poured out to other people. And what we begin to see is this is the only place in Scripture that God's said is used in a negative way. And Jonah, like, he's, he's clearly got issues, sure. But most of the time we see this in scripture, like it is a wonderful thing. It is an incredible thing. And I think rightly, rightly so. Especially when we begin to see this at the backdrop of, of the people of Israel. When we start to see God's hased in, in light of the people that he has hased for. Like, because it doesn't take us long at all to realize that the people of Israel, and I think we're all included in this as well, like we are a mess. Like we are just, like we are, we screw up all the time and this is what Israel happens. Like they just mess up. They screw up from time and time again and God continues to have said for them. I mean, it's easy to say I have said when I don't have to have it, right? It's easy to say I'm loyal to you when, it's, when, when loyalty is not required. But God, he continues to show his loyalty to his people time and time again. Man, when Israel, when Israel walks away, God brings them back. When Israel rebels, God raises up, a, he punish, they're punished, yeah, and he raises up a leader to, to rescue them. The entire book of Judges is about this, like God raising up a leader, he's bringing them back, they fall into sin, he raises up another leader, they bring him back, like that's the story of Judges. When Israel doesn't want God, he pursues them anyway. In Malachi 1, there's this beautiful statement at the start of what God says to the people, he says, I have always loved you. This is who God is. Even when we've walked away, even when we've, we've ran away, God has loved us. So what separates God is said. That's what separates God. Because I'll be real honest again, if I'm God, it's not making it to Exodus 34. Like if, it, if I'm real honest, like I don't think my, my said would, would make it that far. This is what separates him, not just from me, but from, from everybody. Because if we think back to the start of the people of Israel, like God makes this covenant, he makes this promise with Abraham, with Abram. 
And then in, in Genesis chapter 18, there's some people that show up and Abraham's having a meal with them, come to find out they're angels and they're having this meal. And they say, we're going to come back in a year's time and Sarah's going to have a baby. And what is Sarah who's, who's eavesdropping on the conversation? What does she do? You guys remember? She laughs. And, and they say, is anything too hard for God? If I'm God, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't think it's possible. It's not anymore. Too bad. Like, but God has already made this covenant. He is loyal. He is said. And guess what? A year later, they show back up and she has a baby because God keeps his covenant. And as we continue to read through the, the history of Israel, one of the things that we see is time and time again, the, there's a retelling of Israel's history in the Bible. And I think one of the reasons for this is to remind Israel of their, of their sinfulness. But I think also it's to remind the people of God's faithfulness. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to flip to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah 9. There is a, a beautiful thing that happens here. I would love to encourage you. We're just going to scan this chapter today. I'd love to encourage you guys to read Nehemiah 9 in its entirety. I've read it this week a few different times, or last week a few different times. It's just, it's amazing. So what's happened as we get to this moment in Nehemiah 9 is Israel has, some people from Israel have, have come back from the Babylonian captivity. And they've got there and they've started to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And, and there's this moment that happened. Ezra, he comes and he reads the law to these people, many of them for the first time. And they realize we have, we've, we've screwed up. They have made a terrible mess of things. And they realize this moment. And there's this deep-seated regret and heartbreak that is happening. And Nehemiah says, today is not the day to weep. Today is the day to celebrate what God has done. And so they celebrate the, temp the, the festival of shelters, which is one of the, the first festivals, that, one of the festivals God has commanded them to celebrate. They celebrate that. Then about a month later, they show up again. And Ezra reads the law to them for three hours. And then they start confessing their sin. And there we find ourselves in, in verse nine or chapter nine. And there's a prayer that begins to happen. And we see a beautiful picture of the, of the chesed of God. It says this, he says, you made a covenant with them. You have done what you have promised because you are always true to your word. Verse 16 tells us about Israel though, but our ancestors were proud and stubborn and they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to get anger, rich and unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Verse 18, even when they made an idol shaped like a calf, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They committed, committed terrible blasphemies. But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. You made our descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land you had promised to their ancestors. Verse 26, but despite all this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law and killed your prophets who warned them to return to you. And they committed terrible blasphemy. In your great mercy, you sent them liberators who rescued them from their enemies. As soon as they were at peace, the people again committed evil in your sight. And once more, you let their enemies conquer them. In your wonderful mercy, you, res you rescued them many times. Verse 29. They did not follow your regulations by which the people will find life if only they obey. 
They stubbornly turned their back on you and refused to listen. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through the prophets and they still wouldn't listen. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And now our God, the great and mighty, awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love. And we just continue to see this theme come up time and time and time again. We cannot tell the story of God without his loyal love. We cannot tell the story of God without his said, without this type of love that he has for his people and he has for us. I mean, it's, it's no reason, there's no wonder that Psalm 118 starts and ends and then the people say it back by saying, Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His hased endures forever. So as we look at this, we find this word that he is filled with unfailing love. And I think that word filled is really important. At least to me, in my mind, this makes sense. Just think about this for a second. You have money in your bank account. But if your bank account is filled with money, it's a little different story, right? I mean, if you have food in your fridge, sure. But if your food is filled, or if your fridge is filled with food, like it just seems to communicate a little more moreness, a little more significance there, right? I mean, if you have joy or happiness and peace, but if you're filled with joy, happiness, and peace, it seems to be something so much more. And this is what we're seeing here: is that God, He's not, He just doesn't have unfailing love. He's full of it. It's completely full, overflowing to the brim. There's this beautiful, beautiful picture of him. And Jesus tells us a story in Luke 15. The story in Luke, well, tells us three stories, but the story that we're going to look at in Luke 15, it shows us a little bit about the heart of our Father. It shows us the way that he is filled with this unfailing love, the way he is full with said. So in Luke 15, if you want to follow along, it's the first parable. There's three parables here. The parable of the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. We're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep. Um, so verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So first we see who is, who, who is there. People who are spending time with Jesus are, are tax collectors and sinners. Now we got to understand that like, tax collectors wasn't just like they're working, you know, this regular tax guy. No, if you were a tax collector, you have sold your soul to the Roman government. You cheat your own people to make a living. Like people did not want to spend time with tax collectors. Like think of like our equivalent of like pimps. Like that's kind of this idea of what we're seeing here. People didn't really want to hang out with tax collectors. And these are other notorious sinners, people that were known for their sinning, people that, that people knew were sinning. These were the people who, who got really comfortable around Jesus. These were the people who spent time with Jesus and that wanted to be around Jesus. And this made the religious leaders uncomfortable. This made them uneasy. They didn't like that these people were spending time with Jesus. But Jesus has, has said as well. He has this loyal love. And so he tells this story to help illustrate the heart of our Father to these people. Look at verses 3 and 4. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one who is lost until he finds it? 
Now, in that day and age, the average size of a flock of sheep would have been about 20 to 30. Okay, so picture this, this guy, he doesn't just have the average size, he has like three to four times more than the average size. He's got a hundred. And Jesus asked this question that I think is supposed to seem like a rhetorical question, but to me, like, I don't actually think it's rhetorical. I'm not a shepherd. For me, like, if I had to keep up with five sheep, like, that would be way too many, let alone a hundred. But, but Jesus asked this question, he says, suppose one is lost, won't he leave the 99 to find the one? And I guess the answer for everyone was like, of course he would. For me, I'm like, I don't even know if I would notice. Like if it was, unless it's my favorite sheep, like I don't even know if I would know that it had wandered off. But apparently the shepherd knows. And the shepherd sees and he realizes that he leaves and he goes and he looks for the sheep. And here's the beautiful thing I think this reveals to us about the heart of our father is that God sees and God searches for the one that we don't even always realize is missing. That's the heart of our Father, is that he sees the one, he searches for the one that we don't even realize that is missing. So in, in our house, one of, one of the things that I do, I'm, I'm the laundry guy. Like for some reason, like I just started doing laundry and I kind of like it. I hate putting it up, but I like doing the laundry. So this is, this is one of the things that I do. And I have this weird little, one of these weird little things, it's not just one weird thing that I do, but I have this weird thing where I have this excellent track record when it comes to laundry. For 10 years of our marriage, I had never lost a single sock. Now, apparently this is a thing. People talk about, okay, my, my dryer ate my sock, my, my washer ate my sock. I'm like, nope, you're making this up. And so for 10 years of my life and 10 years of our marriage, I did not lose a single sock. If one time when I was going, I was doing the laundry and I'd get ready to hang up a sock on the rack and if I see one was missing, I would just go find it and I'd find the sock and then I'd take the sock that I'd already washed and I'd put it in the dirty clothes hamper with its sock so it could stay together. That way it doesn't get lost again, right? It can't get lost together. And so this is what I would do. And a few months ago, I had this moment where I get ready to hang up one of Tiffany's socks and I'm looking in the basket and I'm like, hmm. One's missing. And so I go and I start looking for the sock. I was like, okay, let me go look and see if it got in the other hamper. Let me look under here. Let me look. We have two little kids that love grabbing things and carrying them around. So it's like, I started looking around the rooms and I couldn't find it anywhere. Like I even go and I start looking under the beds. I start like looking under the couch. I even take the luggage out and look in the luggage. We haven't even traveled recently, but I'm looking in the luggage anyway, because maybe somehow it's stuck in there and I couldn't find it. And this sock is, it's lost. And I'm just so, I was like, my, my streak is over. But guess what? That sock is sitting in the drawer beside my bed for when I find the sock, I can put it back together again. But it's like, this moment is like, I was searching for this thing that was like, does it really matter that much? I'm pretty sure the socks are from pennies. Does it really matter? This is, this is how the shepherd feels, right? It's this one sheep. Maybe we don't realize that it's gone, but the shepherd does. The shepherd knows that it's gone. And so he goes and he searches for it anyway. In verse 5, and when he found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Man, this is, this is beautiful. Hope you guys get ready. We're going to see the imagery here of what, what, what Jesus is doing for us. Notice what Jesus does, or what the shepherd doesn't do to the sheep. He doesn't beat it with the staff. He doesn't call it, you stupid sheep, you, you worthless sheep. He, he doesn't do that. He doesn't force the sheep to walk this road on his own. No, he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it back. He takes the, he takes the stress. The shepherd takes the weight. He takes the, the stress of it all. 
And it says there, there's this tiny little word that I think is really significant for us. It says, when he finds it, he will joyfully carry it. Hebrews 12.2 talks about Jesus. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so what we see here is we really see in this verse that we see a picture of the gospel is that Jesus carried the weight of our sin on himself to bring us back to God. He realized like he carries this weight that we could not carry. He carries this weight to bring us back to, to, bring us back to the Father. In verses six and seven, it says this. It says, when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't swayed, sir, who haven't strayed away. And I love, I love the, the celebration imagery that we see in scripture. I love the fact that when the sheep comes back, that there is a party that happens. As a church, this is what we want to be about is when people, when lost people are found, there is a celebration in heaven as a church. This is what we want to be a part of. This is what we want to be in. We want to be for this. Our heart to beat for this. If you remember, one of the names that, that Jesus calls himself is the good shepherd. And so maybe when you read a story like this, you're thinking, okay, let me, let me find myself in the story. Let me, let me help you. Jesus is the shepherd. We're not the shepherd. We're the We're the sheep. And that's what we, we see here. And one of the things that we see in the story is this week, I was, I was listening to, to some reasons that, that sheep wander off. And, and so one reason is called mindless grazing. So what ends up happening is the sheep, like it just sees some grass over here and then some grass over here. And it just kind of starts grazing and eating the grass until finally it looks around and is like, oh no, I'm lost. Maybe that's, maybe that's where some of you have been. Maybe you didn't mean to walk away from the faith. Maybe you didn't mean to walk away from God. It, it, it just kind of happened. Like there was, this came out over here and oh, the only time my friends could get together was here. And, and then there was this pandemic that threw everything off. And then it's just like, well, do they wear masks? Do they not? Are you vaccinated or you're not? We just kind of started like wandering off. And then you, you look up and you're like, wait, what happened? Maybe there, it's not malicious. There was no ill intent in it. It just, just kind of, this mindless wandering began to happen. The second reason sheep wander off is mindless following. And so what ends up happening is that sheep that's mindlessly grazing starts wandering off and all the other sheep just start following it. And maybe that's where some of you have been as well. Maybe you've, you've listened to, had the wrong voices in your ear. You've been listening to, to the world and not the word and you've been listening to what, what other thing around you are saying. You've just kind of started to walk away. You started to wander away from that. Read a story out of Turkey several years back where, where these two shepherds had 1,500 sheep. So that, that's a lot, okay? So they have 1,500 sheep and these shepherds, they get really hungry. And, and so they stop and they get some lunch. They leave their sheep outside. And then unfortunately, they start to, to do this like mindless following straight off a cliff, 50 meter drop, okay? And, and here's the thing. You can look this up. It's actually, it's, it's true. It's on the internet. It's gotta be true, right? Um, only 500 of the sheep died because of the, the fluff of the fall after 500 of them died. The other thousand, they just bounce on the other sheep and they lived until so they only lose 500 of the sheep. Like, and so I don't know the reason, like why, why we have wandered off. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's mindless wandering. Maybe it's not. Sheep also run off when they get scared. Maybe the, the commitment to Christ has scared you. I don't know like what it is. But as we walk through this story, 
Do you guys realize that there's no reference to why the sheep gets lost? It doesn't say, oh, he was mindlessly glazing, grazing in his own little world, had his earphones in, listening to a podcast, and just kind of got lost and walked away. Man, it doesn't say that. Why? Because it's not the point. The fact is, God doesn't care why you wandered off. He still pursues you. He's not really concerned, terribly concerned of why you have walked off. He still has said for you. And he still pursues you. Why? Because he is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And God knows. He knows there's no way that we can deserve this type of love. He knows there's nothing that we can do to earn this type of love, but he gives it to us anyway. And one of the cool things is, is God is inviting us into this moment to be a part of this love. He's inviting us into this. He's saying, you can be a part of this kind of love. The night Jesus is, is betrayed, that's what happens in, in John 13. Jesus says this, he says, now I give you this new command, love each other. Now on that day of age, like everyone would have looked for the new teaching and the cool teaching. And so when Jesus says a new command I give you, everyone would want to lead forward in excitement. And then Jesus says, love one another. Really, Jesus, that's it? We've heard that. You should have studied harder. Like, but then Jesus gives this qualifying statement. He says, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And then he gives us this incredible statement. He said, it is by your love that the world will know that you are my disciple. So Jesus is, in, we're being invited into this. He is saying the way that you love people, the loyal love that you have for people can help show the world the hesed of the Father. It is our love that shows the world what God is like. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, it's by the Facebook memes that you share that the world will know what, what you're like or what I'm like. Jesus doesn't say it's, it's by the political party that you support or the people that you're, you're for. Jesus doesn't say that's how the world will know you're my disciple. Jesus doesn't say work really hard at getting the, the aggravated or the, the disapproving moan when someone does something that's against me or the, Ugh. like, Jesus doesn't say that's how the world will know. That'll show them. Like, that's not what he says. No, Jesus says, it's by your love for me and it's by your love for other people that the world will see that you are my follower. And God, he has this hesed for us, this loyal covenantal love, this deep love for every single one of us. So every once in a while, my, my three-year-old now, Ava, like we'll, we'll do something really special for her. Like maybe we'll just give her like, and specials like we'll give her like some pretzels or we'll give her like, let her watch something, watch something on YouTube. Or I have these moments and, and she'll ask, it's like, why do, why do I get whatever it is? And a lot of times the response is, because I love you. And like, there's no reason that you get to eat these pretzels. There's really no reason that I'm letting you watch Minnie Mouse on YouTube. Just the fact that I, that I love you. And here's the thing, there's nothing that we can do to earn this hesed that God has for us. The reason that he loves us is because he loves us. He has this, this deep-seated love for any, every single one of us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. God just loves us because he is hesed. He has this loyal love for every one of us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you.